Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the History Today podcast brought to you by Britain's leading serious history magazine. Our guest today at History Today is Stephen Tompkins, who's the author of the journey to the Mayflower, God's Outlaws, and the invention of freedom. And he's also contributed to the February issue of History Today. Now, there's going to be a lot of emphasis this year on the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower pilgrims. But they were not the first Britons to settle in North America. And this is a tale that Stephen relates. So can you tell us something about this expedition of 1597, which is the precursor to the Mayflower expedition. By the point of this 1597 expedition, the Elizabethan separatist movement had been uh, going for more than 20 years. And this was an illegal underground movement that had uh, separated from the Church of England and was worshipping in its own way, in its own underground organisation. Uh, and this had put a lot of their members in, in prison. And in 1593, the, their leaders had been executed. This is very much where your book starts. Mm-hmm. This is a movement that's born in flames, really, during the, the Marian persecutions. And it's really quite vivid and yes. horrific, the start of the book. But yes, the separatists look back to the the Marian underground church as this is under the Queen their Mary. forefathers. That's right. So um, under her Catholic uh, regime, Protestants were rounded up and killed. Some left the country, some capitulated, but some went underground. Um, and so the the separatists and Elizabeths they look back to to that church and, and felt that they were reviving. Um, that non-conformist um, Protestant movement, um, but also because they had lived through the, that regime, that had changed their view of the world. The Catholic Church was no longer simply an error to be corrected and for the church to be reformed, but they were absolutely desperate, Puritan movement in general, to purge the Church of England uh, of the last remnants and reminders of the Catholic regime. So Elizabeth's attempt to, and her successful attempt to make all her ministers wear robes, um, was yeah, a deeply felt offence. It seemed anti-Christian. Yes. It seemed uh, it seemed unbiblical. It seemed a step backwards, as uh, Edward had already got rid of these and got ministers wearing plain tunics. That's it uh, with the six. Uh, yes, that's right. Um, and it seemed to be, uh, worst of all, to be uh, dressing their own ministers in the uniforms of the saint-persecuting regime that they lived for. So um, the Puritans uh, were desperate to get rid of these things, and the Separatists were the, the radical fringe of Puritans who left the church for that reason. And hence the name Separatist. Yes, that's right. For a long time, the, the Church of England tried to woo them 
back. The first generation of bishops, like Grindel, the Bishop of London, was, was a thoroughly decent fellow and he didn't want to be persecuting anyone. And so he kept arresting them, putting them to prison, having a chat, letting them go, hoping that they would see reason and he could bring them back to the Church of England that way. But it didn't work. They were never going to be reconciled. So later generations, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury Whitgift was, um, was a lead in the uh, the stick rather than the carrot approach to separatists. He, he had leaders of the movement executed and a law was passed in the same year, 1593, making the separatist movement a felony. So a lot of them felt there was no future for them in England. It was going to be very unsafe to remain here and they uh, w wanted to leave the country. Now, uh, they went as some earlier generations of separatists had done to the Netherlands rather than to America. Which was a Calvinist yeah. uh, state in that sense. It, it was under, um, at first under King William of Orange, uh, who allowed them uh, freedom of religion. So it, the Dutch Reformed Church wasn't that welcoming to the separatists because they were very aware of the differences. They didn't like the idea of separatism. Um, but it was a more congenial reformed regime and there was freedom for them there. But that still left uh, the surviving leaders of the movement in London jails. Francis Johnson was now the main leader of the movement. And the Privy Council was not inclined to let people like Francis Johnson go, uh, leave prison and go to the Netherlands because they used that as a basis for printing books against the Church of England. They uh, published lots of them and sent them all back into the country. And so it was you know, a very mixed blessing getting the separatists out of the country just you know, to allow them to print books to send back in. So uh, Francis Johnson came up with a different uh, strategy, which was he offered to, uh, to Burley that they would uh, leave the country not for Netherlands, but for Newfoundland. And Burley is the Secretary of State here, isn't he? Uh, he was. So um, he had some sympathy for the Puritan position and he tried where possible to reconcile the Church of England and Puritans. And so the idea that um, it, well, it, it appealed to both sides because from Burley's point of view, it would get rid of the problem of separatism. If they had left the Church of England and gone to North America, then you know they wouldn't have to be constantly arresting and putting them in prison. They wouldn't be able to write books and and send them back. It wouldn't be uh, you know, a division in in England, and they'd be well away from causing any trouble. Absolutely, yes. Um, and from the point of view of uh, Francis Johnson, it would mean that they were out of prison, and and it would mean that in a sense they had their first kind of measure of official acceptance. Their religion was not officially allowed, but if they were allowed to go and form a colony with the blessing of the English government in North America, then yeah, that, that's a kind of de facto toleration. That's, There's yeah. an air of legitimacy. Yes, that's right. Uh, so it was agreed that uh, four leading separatists would be allowed out of prison to go scouting to see if they could form a colony in Newfoundland and if if it looked viable then they would give the word to other separatists and they would come and and join them. So this is a story that I tell in the the article in History Today this month of uh, this the first of four um, expeditions by the separatists the fourth being the, the Mayflower um, the first three were all unsuccessful um, 
we know a little bit more about this one. This was a complete shot in the dark. This was before the English had established the Virginia uh, colony. There had been the Roanoke colony, which had already failed. So this really was uh, what looked like virgin empty territory to the English. Obviously, it was um, full of indigenous Americans, but from a European point of view, uh, this was somewhere where there were no European settlements. And was it specifically Newfoundland that they targeted? They they knew of it. They and did. And they deliberately yes. set out there. This wasn't just chance or serendipity. No. Um, explorers and, um, and fishing ships had been there. And actually, when they went there, they found there was rather too much in the way of uh, fishing going on out there. There were Spanish ships and French ships all over the place. And this was the great cod fishing area of... That's right. Of of the, it was. the Northern Hemis? Yes. Uh, so they were very excited about the cod fishing. There was also um, walruses that, uh, that they wanted to exploit for oil. There was already plenty of fishing going there. And when their ships arrived in Newfoundland, they were absolutely delighted with the cod fishing. They were terrified by the walruses. They, uh, they had to run for their lives from their first encounter. They did find the place a little too uh, over over busy with uh, fishing with foreign Europeans uh, and they didn't get on that well with the Europeans. They got into uh, scraps with the French and the the Spanish. They All of them claimed to be French, but the English um, assumed that some of them were Spanish pretending to be French in order to uh, to sneak up on them from behind. Uh, they, they lost one of their ships. Uh, and how many people were on this expedition? There were four separatists who were wanting to find found the colony for religious reasons, and then there were the uh, there were the sailors and the, the masters of the ship. It seems that the the entire purpose of it was colonial, and that other than the separatists, the other people on the ships were facilitating the separatists' colonial. So this tradition. again is another example of the state giving mm. legitimacy to this the state is wholly aware that in sending these people out there, there may be some kind of healthy return ultimately to it. So it's yes. very specifically colonial in the modern sense that we understand that. Yes, it was a serious investment. When the Mayflower pilgrims went out there on the Mayflower, they had to come up with the ship themselves and they had to provide the food and they had to organise things for themselves and they found it much more mm. difficult. There was obviously very helpful for the separatists in this first expedition to have this state backing. One of their ships was run aground and uh, they lost all the possessions that they had on it for the colony. They gave up on the original piece of land that they were looking at and they, they the captain went to to find a place he called Grand Cost. I'm not entirely clear where that is, um, maybe on the north coast of the St Lawrence Bay. But the sailors had enough by this point and they were mutinying and turning back and for it, no one involved in it clearly specified what exactly they were hoping to achieve and what went wrong and why they decided to turn back. But there was no real strategy. No, no, it does all look a, a little bit haphazard. Mm. Um, and for whatever reasons, presumably because they found the place too busy yeah. to, to yeah. form a colony, because yeah. they found the, the climate too uh, hostile because of the, the loss of their possessions. One thing or another, they seem to have given up 
on it and turned back and decided um, that they were going to make their life in the Netherlands. Um, they were, um, you know, they had to come back via London. They had to uh, keep their heads down because their lives were now forfeit. They weren't allowed back into England. Uh, they were supposed to stay in America. So they, they became managed, underground yes. again. Yes, that's right. But they, they managed to... Uh, get through London back out to the Netherlands again and they did indeed use that as a as a point for bombarding England with printed propaganda. And so how do we get from there this expedition in 1597 to the Mayflower this hugely important foundational event you might say in United States history I'm sure that's the way it was once interpreted. The subjects under Elizabeth who uh, went out to uh, the Netherlands um, maintained their church and it grew and it was fed hugely on the accession of James I of England in 1603 and he, he um, almost immediately appointed Richard Bancroft as his Archbishop of Canterbury. Bancroft started his reign uh, with an assault on Puritans, the most serious assault yet, uh, which involved um, 70, it seems, uh, Puritan ministers losing their jobs in the Church of England. So can we just, um, for those who don't know, can we just succinctly define what a Puritan yeah. is? But when we're talking about 1603, when we're talking about the reign of James I, what distinguishes mm -hmm. a Puritan? I think that I use it to mean those uh, Protestants who were dissatisfied with the Elizabethan settlement of the church and wanted further reformation and campaigned for further reformation. So at this point, a lot of the th things that we talk about, uh, a lot of things we talk about when we use the word Puritan today about, um, you know, fastidious morality and that kind of thing, um, and not really... Uh, part of what Puritan was uh, this time. It really was about purifying the Church of England. Um, and this was removing ritual or ostentation or iconography. Yes, the, the robes were the, the greatest flashpoint. And the more radical Protestants also wanted to get rid of bishops and have a Presbyterian Church of England. And of course, James is famous. Uh, quote about um, no bishops no kings yes so he yes he absolutely held the line that elizabeth had drawn for the church so it's seen as not only a religious threat to the established church but as james's quote infers it's also a political threat to the state as well <laughs> yes and throughout elizabeth's reign uh, her, her church women felt so under threat from the other um end of the political, the other end of the religious spectrum from uh, Catholic uh, plots, um, that it seemed very natural to the establishment to look to radical Puritanism for the same kind of thing. And so they were looked on as rebels who wanted to overthrow the state. And this seemed grossly unjust to the Puritans and the Septus themselves. They were insistent that they were a purely religious movement. They were absolutely loyal to the Queen, but they did feel that they had to worship in their own way. So there was some disillusion among Puritans, but also from, as it came very much from the other side, that Bancroft was determined to deal with Puritanism. And it was the same old story. They founded these underground congregations and they were arrested and they were put in prison and their lives were made difficult. And 
there was already this Elizabethan separatist church uh, in the Netherlands, and so um, they followed that path. A new wave of separatists went over to the Netherlands and founded their own churches in Amsterdam. Uh, some of them then went over to Leiden when they quarrelled among themselves. And it was the Leiden church who uh, ended up deciding to go to North America. They were finding life in the Netherlands a real struggle. People were getting old, the younger generation was drifting off. They had uh, a profound sense, all the separatists had a profound sense that what they were doing was kind of recapitulating the story of the Exodus uh, in, in the Bible. Now, when they were leaving England, they liked to think they were leaving England for the promised land. But the children of Israel actually spent 40 years in the wilderness before reaching the promised land of Canaan. And um, so Netherlands is the wilderness. Yes, that's right. Yes, they, yeah, they had hoped that it would be the promised land. But after 10 years, for some of them, 20 years for other them, it really wasn't feeling a lot like the promised land at all. Life was uh, quite grim for them. They, they couldn't go back to England because, you know, uh, their Protestant faith was so relentlessly forward-looking, such a strong sense that God was leading them ever forward. There's a providential aspect. Yes, that. there is. Um, and, and a sense that the Bible speaks quite harshly of those children of Israel who were led out of Egypt and then had to spend 40 years in the wilderness and said, this is rubbish, let's go back to Egypt, life was better there. You know, it, it condemns them as backsliders. Um, and so taking that on board, there was no way that the, the Puritans could turn their back on what God had done in leading them into separatism, leading them into the Netherlands. They couldn't go back to um, England. That would be apostasy. Um, they couldn't stay in the Netherlands. Um, they needed some great leap that was going to take great them into adventure. the new thing that God was going to do. And, and, and if it seemed like a terrifying risk, then that was all the more reason to think that God was in this because he was, you know, calling them into into the unknown. And he would reward that courage. Yes. And and the Mayflower Pilgrim succeeded. Yes. Um, How is that perceived now? What did those separatists who succeeded eventually from the Mayflower, what effect did it have on American history and religion? Well, I, I think the pilgrims took two very important ideas with them to North America. And one is the idea that the church is a voluntary community, not an entire church state. Um, although, you know, the path forward of that idea was not entirely clear because, you know, later Puritans were very keen, actually, on the idea of the church state. Um, and the, the other idea was the separatists had organised their church on congregational terms. What I mean by that is that the, the Church of England was um, a monarchy. The Queen ruled it through her Lord Bishops and you know, the Queen was the source of authority in the Church. The, uh, the Presbyterians wanted to reform the Church of England to get rid of the hierarchy of bishops and give all the authority to godly ministers. The, the Separatists rejected both those ideas and said that the voice of the whole people is the voice of God. The authority in the church is what the church decides as a whole. In a time when the idea, the word democracy or democratic was only ever used in a pejorative sense, they organised their church on 
democratic lines giving equal voice to every person. And when the pilgrims find, found themselves approaching the New England coast um, and they realised they weren't going to make it to Virginia and they were going to have to uh, work out their own settlement for themselves. And so instead they they turned to the one thing that they did have experience of, which was making a church community and a congregational democratic lines um, through consensus. And so they used that principle on which to establish their their settlement. And that's been a model for the um, American church or churches in America ever since? Yes. Well, thank you, Stephen. It's a fascinating book. Um, Stephen Tonkin's book, um, The Journey to the Mayflower, God's Outlaws and the Invention of Freedom, is available now. And it's a wonderful analysis and survey of a neglected but profoundly important subject whose ramifications are with us still. So thank you, Stephen. Thank, thank you. you very much. Stephen Tompkins' article, Before the Mayflower, is in the current issue of History Today magazine, on sale now. Our next episode is the long read, Sexual Ealing, The Long Search for Eel Testicles. Subscribe to our podcast now.